morning once again. Let me open us in a word of prayer as that song just led us into of Even So Come. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. As we dig in this morning, as we look at what you have to say, Lord, let there be an expectancy in our hearts that today could be the day, Lord, that we want to be prepared as we stand before you, Lord, knowing that you have provided everything that we need and we will grasp a hold of that, uh, your Savior, uh, our Savior, Jesus, and uh, we thank you for him and we thank you for all that you're doing uh, in our lives because of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, we're glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, it's not unique to us. It's something that every uh, church or many churches do uh, a long time in, in that process is that the pastor, or in this case the pastors, we wait after the service and talk to many of you on the way out the door. We place ourselves intentionally near the doorway so that when you're coming through you get to see at least one of us, be able to interact with one of us at the door. This is not a new concept, but it's a concept you do have to be intentional about. And so a lot of times when people come out the door, uh, I have the impression uh, that you are going to share with me some deep thought that you got from my message uh, this morning. <laughs> Cases are often that that is not the case. I think I said that correctly. Uh, generally speaking, that is not the case. People come to the door uh, as they're heading out and usually they'll say something way off, and I have no idea what we're talking about, is generally what happens. They'll come up and they'll say, so what did you think? And listen, my mind is flying. Everywhere I can think of, of what on earth is this person talking? Do you have this person in your life who just assumes that as they begin the discussion that you are inside of their brain following along wherever they want to go? So that happens sometimes uh, there. And then other times uh, they'll interact with something that I said in the message, which is great, but it might not be at all uh, what I intended to talk about. It might be a rabbit trail that I took and I realized that that's the only thing they got out of the message that morning. And you're kind of realizing that that happens uh, more often than you would know. Or there's this one, uh, where the people will begin the conversation with saying, I don't want you to take this personally, but I read this week that very thing. It says this, I hope you didn't take it personally, pastor, said a woman after the service, when my husband walked out during your sermon. He said, I did find it rather disconcerting, is what the pastor said. And she said, it wasn't out of any disrespect for you, insisted the woman. Fred has always had trouble sleepwalking since he was a child. In our home for a while, we had a sleepwalking child. Any parents have a sleepwalking child in your home? So what happened with this child is that uh, she sleeps in a room with bunk beds. Uh, and so it's actually a situation where she, we're, we're sitting, we're watching TV. She comes down out of the bunk bed and we watch her kind of rubbing her eyes go across the living room to the bathroom make her way back across. She didn't interact with us at all, which was good because that meant she was fine. She's going back goes to the bedroom, and about five or ten minutes later, she starts crying in the bedroom. So what had actually happened? So I go into the bedroom, I look for my daughter, and she is nowhere to be found. I'm patting around on the top of the bunk and trying to figure out where she is. I can't find my daughter because what has happened is when she came back into the bedroom, instead of climbing up into the top bunk, she climbed the side of her dresser, and then went from the side of the dresser into the top of the closet, in the closet, and she's in the closet, like on the top of the shelf, couldn't figure out what was going on, and the poor child wakes up 
in the closet, has no idea how she got there, what happened, who stuffed her into the top of the closet. And I equally freaked out by trying to figure out where is my kid and she's in the top of the closet. Like, how did this happen? Hopefully, your sleepwalking stories, there's a lot worse stories than that out there. Like, I've heard stories about people wandering down the middle of the street and, like, getting in their car and driving places and not realizing it. So don't be that. Uh, but when we talk about the Christian life, when we talk about this sermon series, Until Jesus Returns, uh, the idea of sleepwalking is something we have to be very well aware of. As a church, are we sleepwalking? The number of churches that close each year is nearly three times the number that open. The number of churches that close each year in America is nearly three times the number that open. And no county in our nation reports a higher percentage of church attendance than 10 years ago. No county in all of the United States reports a higher church attendance than 10 years ago. Did you realize that 27% of the Bible that we hold in our hands, 27% of it is prophecy, talking about things to come in the end times. The Old Testament, there are over 1,800 references to Christ's return. And in the New Testament, one out of every 30 verses refers to Christ's return. One out of 30 verses in the New Testament is referring to Christ's return. So in spite of biblical data, so many of us are familiar with this. We talk about this so much that we have begun to sleepwalk through the process. We no longer pay any attention. I tell people my alarm goes off every morning at 5 o'clock every morning. I don't get up at 5 o'clock every morning. Why? Because I have my alarm's on the other side of the room. I literally get up, will walk over, hit the snooze bar, and make my way back to bed, sometimes to the point where I didn't even realize that I had gotten up, walked over, turned off the alarm, and gotten back into bed, much to my wife's demise, right? How many else of you will admit to that same process? You figure out your morning based on nine-minute intervals of how long you have to actually get yourself out of bed. You see, we are, many of us, walking through the Christian life until Jesus returns in the sleepwalking mode, assuming that that alarm's going to go out. We've gotten so accustomed to that idea that the alarm that's really supposed to wake us up to reality is no longer alerting us anymore. In contrast, there are some of you who come here today and you look around, you see the world and what's going on in the world, you see all that's in the news and the conflict and the strife, and every minute you have this, this anxiousness, this, this panic in your heart that comes in, it sounds a lot like King David in Psalm chapter 13, says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And you look at the world and you say, how, how much longer can this go on, God? How much longer can you allow this to happen? How many more places do the gospel have to reach before you say enough is enough, time is up? And so there's great confusion there for many of us. So how are we to live until Christ returns? Even as I talk about some of this this morning, some of you there's an anxious uh, anxiety that builds up inside of you rather than encouragement and hope. As we're going to read today, Paul's going to state this to believers. He's going to say we need to put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. It's referring to this future aspect of knowing that Christ is going to return and knowing that we are in good standing with him. 
He's going to refer to that time as the day of the Lord, and it will come, and then spiritual darkness will suddenly, very rapidly disappear. But he says it won't surprise us, those of us who are children of light and children of day. We should be alert and sober and aware of how we are living our lives. And yet there's this tension, this fear that we have of what if my life doesn't measure up? What if I didn't balance things out appropriately? What if I didn't do enough good things to balance out the bad things? What if I didn't attend enough meetings? What if I didn't make enough and you fill in the blank? And whatever it is that you're afraid of, that one day you stand before God and then in judgment you say, I'm not going to have enough to offer. So instead of dealing with that panic, instead of dealing with that anxiety, you just sleepwalk through it all. So this morning, if you take out in your bulletins, you've got an outline, it's a white sheet of paper. It's going to show you where we're going this morning. And here is the statement that I want you to see. Here is the truth that we're going to get to. The bottom line of today's message is this. Since our salvation is based on God's purpose, God's provision, and God's promise, we should encourage and build up one another. Because of the things that God has done, we are supposed to spend our times building up and encouraging one another. We will get there. That is at the end of our passage today. I want you to see that before we dive in because it can seem very hopeless as you make your way through these verses. If you've got your Bible this morning, will you open up your Bibles to not 1 Thessalonians 5. We will get there. I want you to make your way to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to bounce our way back and forth between two passages. There's a number of passages we could use this morning, but it's my intention today to, to be able to give you at least two spots that you can look at with, with some concrete evidence to be able to say, okay, this is what Jesus was teaching and here's how the church should live it out. So we're in Luke chapter 12. If you're using that Bible in front of you, it's a black Bible in that pew in front of you. It's page 1090, page 1090, Luke chapter 12. Beginning in verse 35, this is Jesus talking. He says this, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. He says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Do you remember this passage? We talked about this pretty recently in the series Journey to Jerusalem that we just did this spring. And we talked about Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And as he's going there, he tells these he tells a lot of instruction for people. And as we're getting this, we, we see this instruction like servants, verse 36, waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants who master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We will have them recline at the table and come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. There's this contrast. There are some who are going to be ready for the master to come. Verse 39 in this parable. But understand this. If the owner of the house is given a different scenario, the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is giving this illustration to be able to demonstrate what happens when the master goes away. When he returns, there will be great rejoicing by some. And then he gives this illustration of the house being supported so that the thief cannot come in, that he wouldn't allow that to happen. Now turn over, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
That gives you a backdrop of where we are headed today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1239 in that black Bible. So keep your finger in both of these passages. We're going to make our way back and forth today to be able to compare and contrast the two. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 1. If you're following along that outline, here is your first fill-in today. Wise up. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. Wise up. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. Now today I'm going to give a few analogies that are military in nature. Why? Because I think that it's very applicable to this passage to say this is a battle that is going on. I served in the Marine Corps and after you go through boot camp and you get through your basic rifle instructions and things like that, they send you to a different training camp which allows you to use different, bigger, more exciting weapons. Uh, we got to go to a rifle range uh, and shoot uh, these rounds that went down, and we didn't actually clear the rifle range. Most rifle ranges are built into a forest or something with a big bank, and they didn't use any equipment to knock down trees or anything like that. They literally set us up uh, with these 50 caliber weapons, and we just fired into the woods and knocked down the trees and just cleared, we cleared our own space over the time that we were there. One of the things I was trained to do in that time was how to throw a grenade. Anyone familiar with how to throw a grenade? There's two or three of you. Yeah, not something you use in regular life, right? So uh, at this grenade training site, what we had, you pulled the grenade, you looked over the wall, you threw it over the wall to a target that was out there in the middle, and then you duck down because the blast is going to throw it over the thing. And so when you pull the pin, you hold onto the spoon so that what, what doesn't happen? So it doesn't go off. You don't want that to go off. So what I did, I pulled the pin. I was told to throw. One, two, three, throw. I throw over the wall. And I, I watched my grenade land within a foot of the target. It was the best throw of my life. It was incredible. I am not a softball player, baseball player. I'm better with my feet than with my hands. I got to throw that thing, and it landed beautifully right next to the target. And the next thing I knew, I was nearly knocked out cold. Because I am the idiot who's standing and looking over the wall at the grenade that's about to go off. And my instructor took me to the ground very quickly and instructed me, about the mistake that I had made. Wise up. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. I could have been hurt, injured, killed by standing there looking at my great throw. Wise up. The day of, the day of destruction. Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters... He's going to refer, brothers, brothers and sisters, depending on your translation, you're going to see this multiple times in here. About the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. He begins by saying, brothers and sisters, you know very well, or some of your translations say, you know full well. See, the day of the Lord receives much instruction and discussion in the Old 
Testament. It's often called that day, the day of the Lord. And so the Jewish listeners, those who were there, they knew this very well. They knew the topic quite well. And they were talking about two different things when we talk about the day of the Lord. Just the Jews saw that all of time was divided into two time periods. The first time being this present age, which they believed and we believe is incurably bad. This present age, the day that we are living in right now. And then there is secondly, the day to come. The time to come, the golden day, the the day that is better than what we are experiencing here. And in between, there is this day of the Lord. It is not a 24-hour day, but an age or a season, the, the timing that the Lord will come. And it would be a terrible day. It was the destroying of one world and the building up of another world. And so, the day of the Lord is both a day of judgment for the world and for the the time of, of the sin and rebellion to cease. And then secondly, it is a day of blessing on the earth when they will enjoy, and we, we see it as when we will enjoy the personal, individual, specific reign of Jesus Christ. You see, and here's your feelings for you this morning. The day of the Lord, it will come certainly. It will come, certainly. You see, everybody wants to go and draw a circle and mark it on the calendar. This is the day of the Lord. And that's not unique to us in this time period. The disciples tried to do that with Jesus as well. They tried to pin him down to say, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus said, it is not for me to answer that, but it is for who? The Father to answer that. And so Paul is not going to answer that for us either. If Jesus is not going to answer it, Paul is not going to answer it either. It will come certainly. Secondly, it will come unexpectedly. The trouble with thieves is they don't tell us when they're coming. They don't send you a postcard that says, hey, by the way, between 9 and 1 o'clock, right? They don't tell us that. They don't allow us to know when they are coming much like a fighter jet that shows up and you don't realize that it's going to be there. Have you ever been to an air show before where they break the sound barrier? You ever experienced this before? It's incredible. If you've never been to something like that, I think there's actually an air show coming up this weekend or next weekend, something like that. This weekend. Thank you for that. If you didn't guess, I was not planning to attend myself. If you, if you go into an air show, there's all these planes flying around, and they tell you that there's going to be a plane that's going to break the sound barrier. The announcer tells you that over the thing. It's incredible. And they have these two planes that are doing dancing back and forth, flying all over the place. And as they're flying back and forth, you don't realize, you get distracted, that one of the planes sneaks off behind you. And what happens, or at least the time that I'm familiar with, that out of nowhere, the plane breaks the sound barrier over you, the audience, as you are watching it. What happens is the plane suddenly appears before you and you cannot figure out how it got there. And then above your heads, there's this sonic boom when the sound finally catches up. And what happens here, when we look at scripture here, it says it will come unexpectedly. The same unexpectedness will characterize the Lord's return. The day of the Lord. It will come certainly. It will come unexpectedly. It will come suddenly. My wife tells me that labor pains are more uncomfortable than painful. Now, that's what my wife says, right? How, how would I know that? There's no possible way that I could know that. But 
during the process of having a baby, in contrast to actually delivering, those pains are uncomfortable. But as it gets closer, and as time narrows down, all of a sudden the pains become more acute. They get closer together. There comes this point where suddenly we have to make it to the hospital at Mach 5, right? Dads, that's your only responsibility. Dads have two responsibilities when a baby is born. The first one is to get your wife to the hospital. Do not pass go. Do not stop for a red light. Get to the hospital. And then your other job as the dad, the only other job you're allowed to have, is once the baby's born, you get to come out to the room and say, it's a boy, it's a girl, and its name is, and it weighs this much. And that, that's your only job. You don't get to do anything else. Men, do it well. The day of the Lord, it will come, certainly. It will come unexpectedly. It will come suddenly. Don't get caught sleeping. Don't get caught sleeping. Why? Scripture tells us, it says, you know full well what is coming. Don't get caught sleeping. Wise up. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. Second fill in for you. Rise up. The day of the Lord is a day of division. Go back, if you will, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 51. This is Jesus speaking. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5, remember when Paul said people will be talking about peace and how they will have peace. And Jesus says, did you think I came to provide peace here on earth? He says, you are mistaken. Look what he's come to provide. For now there will be five in one family. He says, there won't even be a divide within the family. All five would be divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's being very, very specific so that he can explain and even hyperbolize how extreme this division really is. Rise up. The day of the Lord is a day of division. Do not miss this. Make your way over to 1 Thessalonians 5 again. And verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. Belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This is a day of division. A day of Division. When you go to the amusement park and you get on a ride and you sit on the roller coaster, someone's going to come by and they're going to grab a hold of that thing and shake it. Why? To make sure that when the roller coaster goes upside down, that you stay in the roller coaster. If you ever go and ride horses somewhere, I was responsible at a camp for getting kids on horses. You put them on a horse. One of the things that you need to do when you put a kid on a horse is to grab a hold of that saddle and shake it to make sure that when they go around a turn, they don't just slide off the side of the horse. 
Why? Because it needs to be sure and secure. Make sure that that's there. If you ever go bungee jumping, if you ever do rappelling, anything like that, the first thing that the person who's helping you do is going to grab a hold of your waist and check and make sure that your harness is attached and secure before you jump off the side of the building. Why do you do that? To make sure that you realize what you're going into. Football players love to do a helmet check before games, right? They look each other in the face and they smack them on the side of the head to make sure that they're ready for the game. They're making sure their helmet is secured. Why? Because you are going into the arena. The same way here, if this is a day of division, Paul is telling us we need to be aware that you need to have your helmet on. You need to be aware that you need to have your breastplate on. You need to be aware that this is a battle that you're going into. This is a day of division. Do not miss this. And Paul doesn't use the family distinction of bloodlines for family. No, instead he uses something different, which would explain why. Because Jesus explained that within families, he said there's going to be division within families. Husbands, wives, mothers, daughters. There will be these divisions. And some of you are living through what those divisions look like this very day. But in that, Paul says, no, this will come through the adoption lines of the family of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, he paid the ransom for you and for me. And then went even further than that and adopted us into the family as joint heirs of the throne of God. Brian and Christy Yakinowski, they're the worship leaders over at the chapel, a large church here in the area. They wrote a song which I really love and it matches up with this passage specifically. And the song is called this, We Are Not of the Night, We Are Children of Light. This is really describing for us what it means when we go into battle and we put our helmets on. We need to understand we're going to battle with those who are children of light. See, there's a contrast of perspective on the world. See this. There are some, these are fill-ins for you, some that are in darkness, but others who are in light. There are some who are in darkness, but others are in the light. The next fill-in for you is this. Some are asleep, but others are awake. Some are surprised, but others are prepared. Some are in darkness, but others are in light. Some are asleep, but others are awake. Some are surprised, but others are prepared. What is the difference between these two? The difference is those who are living for themselves on earthly treasures and those who are living for an eternal purpose, for a heavenly treasure. This balance between the two. And you can see the activities of those who live in the dark. You see the activities of those who are asleep versus those who we've been called to be, those who are in the light those who are awake. Turn back over, if you will, to Luke chapter 12. And you'll see there in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 29, Jesus speaking again, it says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world will run after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are some 
who are in darkness, but there are others who are in the light. Some who are asleep, but there are others who are awake. Some who are surprised, but there are others who are prepared. Don't get caught sleeping. Paul says, you know full well what is coming. Your third feeling. So wise up. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. Rise up. The day of the Lord is a day of division. Eyes up. The day of the Lord is a day of deliverance. Verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says this. For God did not appoint, or some of your translations will say, did not destine us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Now when it comes to sports, you can tell the difference between a high-level athlete and one who's just beginning by whether or not they have their eyes up. If they're running around the soccer field and they've got their feet on their eyes, looking at their feet constantly, they, there's something about that that says, no, they, they haven't figured out this sport yet. If you have someone who's playing baseball and they're looking so intently at one thing but not looking at all of their surroundings, being aware of the warning track when they're running for a pop fly, being aware of where that ball is going to come from, being aware of where people are located on the bases, knowing all of those things before the ball is ever hit. If you're teaching your kid how to ride a bike and they're looking at the front tire, don't be surprised when they run into something. Get your eyes up. And for us as believers, we need to walk through life with our eyes up. Why? Because we know the way that God has planned things. He has laid it out for us ahead of time so that we can live our lives with our eyes up. Play the game with your eyes up. Here's your fill-ins. Our salvation is rooted in God's purpose. Our salvation is rooted in God's purpose. God has a purpose. God has a plan for the ages, and he will carry out that plan. It says he did not appoint us or destined to, for us to suffer and die, but no, what was the destination? What was the plan? What was the purpose? It was for us to receive salvation. That was the plan. That is the plan. That is God's purpose. Our salvation is rooted in God's purpose. No one would conceive of building an entire house without having a detailed plan in front of them. It's inconceivable of the one who spoke the universe into existence that he would not have a purpose for what he was doing or a way or a plan to accomplish it through his creation. Our salvation is based on his eternal purpose, one that can never fail. Secondly, our salvation is secured by God's provision. Secured by God's provision. You may ask, why did God have to die? Why did Jesus have to die to secure our salvation? If I do something wrong against one of my friends or my family members, I, I can forgive them and we can, we can move on. We're even told that in Scripture. So why can't God just forgive us from what we've done wrong and then we can just move on? Because that wouldn't make God a holy and righteous judge. If he is the holy and righteous judge of the universe, he has declared that the wages of sin is death. We have all been sentenced through this to an eternal lake of fire. 
That's the wages of sin. When you, when you work your job, at the end of the month, you get a paycheck. These are your wages for what you have done, where you have worked, how you have worked. That is your wages for what you have done. And by New York state law, if the employer does not give you your wages, they're in trouble. The wages for our lives without Christ is an eternal sentence to the lake of fire, to death. But instead, through that, through his great love and mercy, God sent Jesus, his eternal son, to bear the penalty of that wage, of what we deserve. So through that, our salvation is secured by God's providing, God's provision for you and for me. And lastly, our salvation is anchored on God's promise. If we will live together with Christ, rise up. If we live in this manner, it means that he is alive forevermore. Living or dead, it says here, that we will be given eternal resurrected bodies when Christ returns, and through that we live forever in him. This is the promise that Jesus lays before us. And through that, our salvation is anchored on that promise. You see, when we live lives that are fully devoted to Christ, and understanding that it is through his promise that we are secure, it is through that that we are anchored, our salvation means much more. We will live our lives until Jesus comes with a much different perspective on life. So verse 11 gives us the perspective. Therefore, because of all these things that have already been stated, in summation, encourage one another. Build each other up just as in fact you are doing. This process of encouraging, encouraging and building up is the responsibility of the entire church not just the church leadership. This is the role of the entire body of Christ, not just for this platform that we know and understand here in this zip code at this address. No, it is the role of the church to be an encouragement to one another, to build one another up. Why? Because we are living with our eyes up, knowing what Jesus has done for us, knowing full well the situation that we are in. We ought to live differently. If you are a member of the body of Christ, arms, hands, feet, we understand that we are all members of the body of Christ. You are responsible to strengthen and encourage and build one another up on matters pertaining to salvation. If we're going to point to these matters that our salvation is rooted, that our salvation is secure, that our salvation is anchored in Jesus, then we build one another up by reminding ourselves of that daily. And the church will only be strong when every member seeks to build one another up in this process. <coughs> Let me read for you this morning. This is coming from the message paraphrase. These same six or eight verses so that you can see maybe in our, our common vernacular to some extent what Paul is really encouraging us through here today. So if I use our notes that we're using this morning, wise up, friends. I don't think, friends, that I need deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. You know as well as I do that the day the master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, well, we've sure made it. Now we can take it easy. Then suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as the birth pangs to a pregnant woman. Rise up 
Friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard by any of this? You're the sons of the light. You are the daughters of the day. We live under wide open skies, and we know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open. Let's be smart. People sleep at night. They get drunk at night, but not us. Since we are creatures of the day, let's act like it. Let's walk out into the daylight sober, dressed in in faith, in love, and in hope of salvation. Eyes up. God didn't set us up for angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us a death that triggered life. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we are alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll be able to in this, so you'll be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. I know that you're already doing this, so just keep on doing it. That statement is written there at the end of your notes. We're alive in him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope with one another so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. The question this morning is, are you sleepwalking? Are you sleepwalking? Are you walking through life as if this day, the day of the Lord, is not fast approaching, is not today. Because God tells us, God has made it very clear to us that that day will come. That day will be a day of division. That day will be a terrible day, a day of destruction. But we are to live our lives with our eyes up, encouraged, encouraging one another that our salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Are you sleepwalking? Secondly, are you ready for this? As the band comes up, it's a reminder as we look at this passage to be able to say, are you ready? If, if what I'm sharing with you this morning is not an encouragement to you that you know and understand that Jesus Christ died for you and for me, if that's not an encouragement because panic sets in your heart because you do not know what would happen if Jesus returned today, are you ready for this? The passage that Paul lays out for us here in 1 Thessalonians 5 is, is very clear. I'm trying to lay it out in very simple words for us today that maybe would stick with you for a few moments anyway, that we need to wise up, we need to rise up, we need to have our eyes up. Because the day is coming. And we are to live our lives until Jesus returns with our eyes up knowing that he is going to return, friends. The listeners to what Paul was teaching, the readers as they read that first letter, they thought it was that day, at any moment, at any time, that Jesus would return. Don't you believe that during the Holocaust they thought this must be the day? And today there are many who are in severe persecution as we've talked about the statistics around the world, that there are more in persecution today than at any other time in human history. Don't you think they believe that today is the day and somewhere along the way, you and I have fallen asleep. We're walking through life as if this passage is not true. So Lord, this morning we pray. We pray that you would change our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would ready us for what you are about. Lord, if there is someone here this morning that has not 
given their lives to you. Lord, let this passage speak to what that really is. Lord, it is that giving ourselves over to you, our Savior and our Lord, that is where our salvation is found. It is not through any of the works that we do or the things that we can provide. No, it is through you and you alone. So Lord, if there's someone here this morning that needs to respond to that, in a room of this size, there's someone here who has never given their lives over to you. We pray that today would be the day. Lord, for others here in the room that have fallen asleep, have gone through the motions for far too long, let this passage speak out again to what it really looks like to to wise up to the fact that they become complacent, to wise up to the fact that they have become lazy and set things aside and assume that this will be tomorrow's problem when you have very clearly and your scripture laid it out to say, today could be the day. Lord, let us live our lives expectantly with our eyes up, looking to you, looking forward to what is the next day. The eternal security we find in you, Lord, we want to share with others. We want that to, the gospel to ring forward, to tell everyone that we possibly can about you. Work in us today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ushers, would you come forward this morning? Each week we have our ushers come and and those who are giving their tithes and their offerings before the Lord. Yes, we ask you to drop that envelope, drop that check in there so that this this is how we do business as a church. This is our offering before the Lord. But some of you might need to respond by taking that connection card, that sheet of paper that's in front of you and jotting something down that says, I need to have a further conversation with you about this. One of the best things for us as a staff that we pray each week over those connection cards is when a connection card comes in, that something comes in where someone is saying, I need prayer for this. This is the step that I want to take. And we can interact on your behalf in prayer or interact with you face to face and talk through what it is that God is doing in your life. Will you take that connection card out this morning? Do me a favor, write your name down on it. Give us a way to be able to respond to you, interact with you, what God is doing in your life. Lord, we thank you again for this offering, Lord. As people give of their, of their abundance, Lord, and some give sacrificially, Lord, you're teaching each of us to give. Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would bless both the gift and the giver. Lord, I pray that even that uh, giving of our offerings, Lord, is a, is a step of movement. Lord, you call us to move. You call us to change, not to be static or complacent. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.